So one of the most important tasks in life is learning to attend not to the urgent matters, but to the truly important ones. There are so many things in our lives that are vying for our attention, demanding our time. And if we only ever attend to the urgent ones, we will have no energy or time left over for those things that are important. This is something I continue to need to learn in my work here, maybe in your work. It's something you need to learn as well. It's something we need to learn in our families. It's something we need to learn in our church life. And it's certainly something we need to learn in our faith. Because one of the most important and important concerns for us as Christians in our lives is learning to wait well for the king to return. And if we only ever attend to that which is most urgent in our life, we'll never get around to this important work. Which is why we need a season like this in Advent, to remember that we're waiting to remember that the king is coming and coming soon. And so we must prepare room in our hearts, room in the world for Christ to return. It's also why we've been walking through 1 Thessalonians this Advent season to learn how to wait well. And so as we now open the scriptures again to look at the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, I want to invite you to take a moment to set all that urgent stuff aside. You have a big, long to-do list in your mind of things to do today, of everything to do before Christmas comes in only about a week and a half. Set all that aside and attend now to the important work of listening well to the book we love. So when we couldn't stand it any longer, we thought it was a good idea to stay on in Athens by ourselves, and we sent you Timothy, our brother, And God's co-worker in the good news about Christ. We sent him to strengthen and encourage you in your faithfulness. We didn't want any of you to be shaken by these problems. You know very well that we were meant to go through this. In fact, when we were with you, we kept on predicting that we were going to face problems exactly like what happened, as you know. That's why I sent Timothy to find out about your faithfulness. When I couldn't stand it anymore, I was worried that the tempter might have tempted you so that our work would have been a waste of time. Now Timothy has returned to us from you and has given us good news about your faithfulness and love. He says that you always have good memories about us and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. Because of this, brothers and sisters, we were encouraged in all our distress and troubles through your faithfulness. For now we are alive if you are standing your ground in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you, given all the joy we have because of you before our God? Night and day we pray more than ever to see all of you in person and to complete whatever you still need for your faith. And now may our God and Father himself guide us on our way back to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and enrich your love for one another and for everyone in the same way as we also love you. And may the love cause your hearts to be strengthened, to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father 
when our Lord Jesus comes with all his people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's 1 Thessalonians 3, if you want to keep your Bible open or turn to it to follow with us this morning. Paul is anxious. He's concerned. He's nervous. The church in Thessalonica has been facing problems, trouble, persecution. And even though they knew it was coming, it's still significant. And now Paul is separated from them and doesn't know how things are going. He's not sure if Satan has tempted them away from the faith. He's not sure how they're enduring all this trouble. And so he sends Timothy finally to find out how things are going and to encourage them along in their faith. He's concerned. He's anxious. And what we find out at the end of our chapter is that he's not just nervous because he thinks this may have all been a waste of his time. If the church leaves, all the time he spent there, the persecution he went through is all for naught. But there's another reason he's concerned. He's concerned because Jesus is coming. Because Jesus will return again. And Paul's concerned because he wants the Thessalonians to be ready. See, Paul's convinced, having read all the Old Testament prophecies, that when Jesus returned, the final judgment would take place. Everyone would come before God the Father. The righteous would be vindicated no matter what they had gone through in life. They would be declared righteous, brought into God's kingdom, and everyone else condemned and tossed out. It's what Jesus spoke of with the the separation of the sheep and the goats in the Gospel of Matthew. Paul knows that Jesus is coming back and coming back soon, which means the judgment is coming. And so Paul's concerned for the Thessalonians because he wants them to be ready. He wants them to wait well and to be able to stand when Christ comes again. So here in chapter 3, in his concern, he ends by praying for the Thessalonians, asking God for two things that they still need if they're going to persevere, to wait well, to be ready when Jesus returns. Love and holiness. We're going to talk about love and holiness and how they help us to wait this morning. We'll start with love. It was verse 12, if you have your Bibles open or your apps up. May the Lord cause you to increase and enrich your love for each other and for everyone in the same way as we also love you. Love. Love in the same way we love you. We've seen throughout this chapter and really the whole letter so far, love playing out in Paul and his love for the Thessalonians. We've seen how much Paul loves them. It's the love for them that causes him to yearn to be reunited with them, that aches within him that they're now separated. It's love that causes him to encourage them. It's love that is expressed as he cares for them, as he sends Timothy to check in on them. It's love that makes him anxious them. And what we now see is that Paul wants them to have the same love for each other and for everyone that he's been demonstrating now for them. Paul's love is to be an example for how they ought to treat each other and those around them, even as Paul has been taking Jesus' example in how to love and to love well. So Paul prays that their love would grow, would increase, would enrich, so that they'd love each other in the same way. 
And it's not just Paul who wants these Christians to love each other. It was Jesus, too. The night in which he's betrayed, the, the upper room teachings in John 13 through 17. It's in 13, 34 to 35, he says this, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so also you ought to love each other. This is how everyone will know that you're my disciples, when you love each other. Love each other as Jesus loved us. This is how the world will know your disciples, not by anything else you do, but by how you love each other. Jesus said it, Paul said it, John says it, 1 John 3, 14 to 16. We know that we have been transferred from death to life because we love the brothers and sisters. The person who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life residing in them. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How's that for a bar of loving each other? Laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do we know we are saved, transferred from death to life? Because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus wants us to love each other. Paul wants us to love each other. John wants us to love each other. But why? Why? I mean, do we have to? Can't I just be a Christian by myself? Can't I just follow Jesus? Do I need the church for any of this? Or if I do go to church and show up, do I really need to love the others who are there? Can I just be nice to them? Do we have to love? Why? There's three reasons we see here and in those other passages I've been quoting the first is that this love for each other is a witness to the world. That's what Jesus said. They'll know you're my disciples if you love each other. It's our love for each other that is a witness to the world that Jesus is real, that Jesus' love is true, that Jesus' love is at work within us. If we, the body of Christ, can't get around to actually loving each other, why would anyone else want to follow Jesus? It's a witness to the world. Paul said that too. He said he wants us to love each other and everyone just as I have loved you. Paul's love for the Thessalonians was so compelling that it led these first Christians to convert, to become Christians in the first place. Paul wants them to have that same love for each other and for everyone, that that same compelling witness of love may exist in their whole community to draw others into God's love. Loving each other well, not just being nice, but loving, giving our lives for each other as Jesus did for us, is a witness to the world that will draw others into God's love. But it's also a witness to each other. That's the second piece. Loving each other is a witness to each other. If I don't enact God's love for you in some way, how will you ever really know it? God's deep, deep love for you will only stay an idea, a concept, maybe a compelling one, but something distant and out there if you never experience it 
in a brother or sister in Christ. That love will never be real to others if we don't take on the labor of love. Have you ever thought of it that way? That if you don't love your brothers or sisters in Christ well, they'll never truly know the depths of God's love for them. Know it in their bones, not just know it in their head. That's how it becomes real to us, is when we become the body of Christ and love each other. We love each other as a witness to the world, as a witness to each other, and also just because this is what comes from loving God. This is the fruit of loving God. We love our neighbors. We love our brothers and sisters. As we respond to God's love for us in Jesus, we love God. There's a a vertical aspect there. As God loves us, we begin to love God. There's a vertical relationship. But as we love God, we suddenly find ourselves standing around a whole bunch of other people that love God too. We find ourselves brought into a whole new family, a new community of people who are united together, not because of anything they share in common, but because they all love Jesus. We're brought into this new community of love, and this love of one another follows instantaneously from our love of Jesus. Our awakening to love for God brings us into a new family where we find that love overflowing as well. Which means if we don't truly love one another, at some point we must ask if we truly love God. Like, love God. Because there's a big difference between being a member of a church, which is a good thing, and loving God. There's a difference between liking the concept of God, that there's a a divine, all-powerful being out there that's looking out for your good, and loving God. There's a difference between even assenting to all the right ideas about God, believing God is triune, believing Jesus is fully human and fully God, believing that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and checking off all those boxes. There's a difference between just that and loving God, between helping others and loving God. We must ask with the warning to one of the churches in Revelation, have we forgotten our first love? Because John says we can't love God if we don't love our brothers and sisters, our fellow Christians. Loving each other comes directly after and immediately following our love of God. Love, deep love. And there is something remarkable that happens between people when we love Jesus together. We see it happening with the Thessalonians. Paul was there for three weekends, and I'm sure he didn't meet all of them that first Saturday in the synagogue. I'm sure he hasn't met all of them at all. There are probably Christians who've joined since he left. He's never met them, and yet his heart yearns to be back with them. He loves them deeply because of their shared love of Jesus. Have you ever experienced this with other Christians? Last weekend, Sam and I had an opportunity to help with something called Help Portrait that some friends of ours who are photographers started seven or eight years ago. They gather in Patterson. This time it was at Lighthouse Pregnancy Center on a Saturday afternoon. And for four hours, anyone who wants can show up and get a free portrait of themselves or their family, taken by professional photographers with real backgrounds, printed out professionally, framed, and handed to them to go out. 
They started this because they, they realized as photographers there's something that's humanizing, there's something that gives dignity, that gives pride when you have a portrait of your family and watching the joy on people's faces as they come out having received this gift offered freely was a powerful thing. But as we helped with that for only two hours, we were there with a whole bunch of other people because they have people who are, you know, with signs out on the street trying to flag people in. There's people registering. I was helping bring people from the table inside. There's food inside people are preparing. There's people doing hair and makeup to get them ready. There's photographers. There's people printing, framing, saying goodbye as people leave. There's tons of volunteers that are a part of this whole thing. We had only met, I think, two of them before that day. But what we found was a deep connection immediately with all these other people helping to serve and give based on nothing other than the fact that we love Jesus together and that that love of Jesus is leading us to now serve and to give this away in love. We're bound together almost immediately with these other people simply because we love Jesus. This is something I've found that's so beautiful about our time with Northside Church and the Bible studies we share together Six or eight times a year as we join for lunch here or at their church down in Patterson, and we open and study the Word together. The last time we were down there in November, we were studying Daniel or uh, David and Goliath. That was the story. And what we found was just digging into the Word together for about a half hour with people with whom we share nothing else in common unites us together in love. There is deep and rich community. We love each other deeply based on nothing other than our shared love of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful and remarkable thing that doesn't happen in the world otherwise. And it's a beautiful witness to the world and to one another of what the love of Jesus can do as it's poured out between one another. And so as these Thessalonians wait and as we wait for Christ to come again, Paul prays that their love may increase and enrich as they wait for Jesus to return. May we love and love well. That's the first thing Paul prays for, is love. The second thing he prays for is holiness. He said this, it was verse 13, you can find the prayer. May the love cause your hearts to be strengthened to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his people. Amen. Paul's connecting love and holiness. And that seems a little strange to us, but here's the connection. As we love God, we choose to love this God and no other. And as we give ourselves to this God, we put ourselves at God's disposal. And when we do this, we find ourselves living according to God's ways. Jesus said it in John 14, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's always sounded odd to me. It sounds odd to our ears. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What do commandments have to do with love? But in Scripture, love is different. It's not just an emotion. It's not a romantic urge toward another people. Love is action. It was in a passage in 1 John that we like so much, we put it on our Mission Day shirts, right? We put our nice new logo on the back. You've seen these shirts? On the front, it says, Serve, love in action and truth. 
It's a reference to 1 John 3.18. Love not in word or speech only, but in love and in action. Who wants a shirt? You already have one. Yeah. Oh, it's clean. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of extras. Somebody take that home and wear it. Love in action and in truth. Uh, there's an NGO that a friend of a friend has started working for a couple years ago called Partners Relief and Development. Their logo is, to love is to act. That's their whole motto for their ministry. To love is to act. And it's led them to be active in Syria in the midst of the civil war there and now the renewed violence with Turkey invading. They're in the midst of that war, giving out food, preparing beds, welcoming people in and providing shelter and hospitality, medicine and care for them. They're working with the Rohingya people too in Asia as they're coming as refugees being persecuted. To love is to act. But it's not just to act in any way. To love is obedience. To love God is to act in God's ways. Throughout the Old Testament, there's a connection between loving God and keeping commandments. It's what Jesus said in John 14. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's a connection always between loving God and walking in God's ways, between loving God and fearing God, between loving God and knowing God. These are always held together. And Paul keeps this same connection. And whenever he speaks of loving, he always speaks of something that needs to be done. To love here is to walk blamelessly and in holiness when Jesus comes again. Even the great second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, that's actually a quote from Leviticus. Jesus didn't just come up with that. He, he found what he thought was the second most important commandment in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. But that verse is actually the conclusion, the summation of a whole long list of things you shouldn't do to your neighbors, right? It says, don't defraud them, don't rob them, don't hold back wages they've earned, don't be unrighteous in your judgment of them, don't despise the poor and favor the powerful instead, don't slander, don't threaten, don't hate them, don't take vengeance, don't hold a grudge, love your neighbor as yourself, Whenever scripture is concerned, love is not a fuzzy feeling toward others. To love is to live in a certain way. Love means setting ourselves apart from the world, to follow Jesus, to live in God's ways. It means holiness, to be set apart for God's special purpose. If you will love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. So Paul prays that this love that he wants to grow among them and overflow, may also cause them to be holy and blameless, to love God well, so that they can stand in the judgment when Jesus comes again. There's danger in that last bit to hear that as a threat. Fear seems to be the motivator, or at least it could be. You better live right. Jesus is coming back. It's been used that way often in the past. You better serve Jesus or else. Do you know where you'll be if you die today? You don't end up in hell. You better live right. And fear's a motivator for us in life, right? Fear makes us do things. It's just not a good motivator because fear doesn't last. And fear certainly doesn't lead to love and joy and hope. All these things Paul has been talking about and praying for so far. 
So what if our motivation to prepare for Jesus' return wasn't fear, but was love? That we weren't doing these things out of fear of something bad happening if we didn't, but out of love for Jesus that overflows. Because if we are only Christians because of fear, then this isn't going to work. It's not going to last when it actually gets tough. But if the source is love, then it overflows over and over and over. Let's try it this way. Have you ever been separated from someone you love? What did that feel like to be away? And what did you do when you found out you'd be reunited? Not just feel, but do. So after Christmas, we're going to go um, to Michigan for a little while to be with my family before going on to Wisconsin. Um, my mom loves us, probably mostly our kids. Um, me too, though. <clears throat> and it's true. Um, she's probably not going to listen to the podcast. <laughs> because she loves us and knows we're coming, she'll get ready. She'll prepare. Um, they'll clean the house. They'll get the room ready and have fresh sheets and towels and things set out for us. One year when we were coming back, they frantically finished the bathroom they were redoing downstairs because that's the bathroom we'd be using. I know that my mom will go out and make a special trip to the grocery store before we show up to stock the things she knows we'll want. She'll have organic milk and eggs there, though she would never buy them otherwise. <laughs> Again, she won't listen, so it's fine. <clears throat> Before we leave that day to drive out there, she'll inevitably call or text and ask, is there anything we can have ready for you when you arrive? Do you need a meal? Do you need the pack and plays set up so you can just drop the kids in them? What time are you going to get here? Is it going to be the middle of the night? Is it going to be morning? How can we be ready that you're coming? This happened when we moved here, too, with the search team here. I don't know if you knew this, but we found out some of them had been weeding the raised bed behind Klomberg. Some of them had cleaned the house we were going to be living in across the street. Someone went out and bought a bunch of groceries and stocked the fridge and the kitchen so that when we showed up, it would be ready. When we went to Spain for five weeks to do the Camino de Santiago and came home, there was a big welcome home banner across our garage. Because you love us. And when the one you love is returning, we get ready. We prepare. We do stuff. This is the same thing. Because we love Jesus, knowing that he's returning should lead us to get ready, not out of fear of what would happen if we aren't, but in joy and in anxious anticipation. Like my mom, knowing her grandchildren are coming to her house. Like parents preparing for a ch child to be born. This is what you do when your love is coming. You prepare. So this Advent, let's prepare Let's get ready for Jesus to come. Let's hang out the banners announcing he's coming home and welcoming him in. Let's go out into the highways and byways, as Luke says it, to invite in the guests to the party. Let's clean the house, removing the filth of sin from our lives. Let's prepare our house, our hearts, room for him by removing the clutter that distracts and crowds out. Let's prepare the food he loves the bread of love and justice, the fruit our faith has borne. 
Remember, we're waiting because Jesus is coming again and coming soon. So let's love. Let's love God. Let's love Jesus. Let's love each other. Let's love everyone. And let's love not just in word or speech, but in action and truth, in love that leads to holiness, that we might be ready for Jesus when he comes again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for Paul's prayer for us, that we may grow in love and holiness as we wait for you to return. So, Lord, we join in this prayer. May you cause our love to abound and overflow. Our love for you, O Christ, for all that you have done for us. Lord, grow within us a deep and true passion and love for you. But may that love also overflow to one another, that we may not just enjoy each other's company, but may love in the way that you have loved us. And may that love, O Lord, lead us out into action and truth, into obedience, into following in your ways to prepare room in our hearts, in our lives, in our world. For you, O Lord, are coming. And you are coming soon. So keep us awake. Keep us prepared and ready for the day when you come again to make all things well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.